Hello, welcome to Eldritch Girl and the next chapter of The Crows, which is chapter 11. This is another longer chapter, um, so because I'm trying to keep everything about 20 to 30 minutes for the main episodes, um, it's going to be cut in half like chapter 6 was. So this is 11 part 1. Content warnings for this chapter include... Um, a coma patient and physical space violations, thinking of a coma patient as an object, relapse of an alcoholic character, the return of an abusive ex, and a child ghost with implied child cruelty. If you want, you can get the box set of the novel with the two short stories that I have out now as well. So that's the collection of folklore and um, a short story called Overexposure. Um, you can get both of those shorts from Amazon, Smashwords and everywhere else. You can also go directly to my Kofi shop and you can buy um, the novel Overexposure and uh, the Folklore of Pagamon Sea separately or as a box set. And that's the only place you can get all three as a box set together and save yourself a quid. Um, so if that's what you want, um, crack on. Um, we will carry on with chapter 11. The theme tune, as usual, is by Gemma Cartmel, um, illustrations by Tom Brown. If you do like Tom Brown's work, um, you can now find his Kofi shop as well, which is at kofi.com forward slash Thomas Brown. Chapter 11, Damsel in Distress, in which several days pass eventfully. 29th of April. The ceiling was white, tube-like, bowed in an unhappy frown. There was a sense of weightlessness, of herself, of what was beneath her, of the whiteness above, of the thoughts in her head, floating, lost in space. No air in space, she recalled. No wonder I couldn't breathe. She didn't know what time it was. Pilots must do more than one journey in a day, back and forth, back and forth, three hours this way and three hours that, the time zones shifting and unstable, forwards, backwards, until time was fluid and meaningless, and there was no need for it any more, and clocks melted like water down the dashboard and dripped onto your face. I dare say you've seen many a person die in this room, Dr. Monday said conversationally over Carrie's head, wiping the beads of sweat from her brow. He had his own unique scent, filling Carrie's head with peace sepia film reels and withered violets, her father's old jumper and peppermints masking forbidden camel cigarettes, warm mahogany and washed linoleum, unused cardboard and bakelite appliances. The smell of memories, not all of them her own. She sifted through the odours, sorting them one by one into drawers, wondering where to file them all. Alphabetically or thematically, or both? The ceiling straightened little by little, bending back into shape. Ladies and gentlemen, we now experience some light turbulence. Please fasten your seat belts. The swimming vision brought with it a nudge from her bladder. During this time, the use of the toilet is not permitted. Deaths? Oh, yes. Her own voice, but deeper. Fairwood's voice. She was home. Carrie's eyes fluttered, but her neck was sore and her muscles felt like she'd been repeatedly run over. Not this one, though. The doctor leaned over her so close she could see the edges of the skin mask he wore, but not what was underneath. She let this information wash over her, happy to accept whatever came her way. Dr Munday had been her doctor for years. Dr Munday had known her all her life. 
Dr. Munday was perfectly normal. I don't think that's right, a tiny voice itched in the back of her mind. I don't think that's true at all. An image popped into her head with a wave of familiarity, Dr. Munday stepping through Regency London with his cane and the dignity of a forgotten god, walking Victorian streets chameleonic in borrowed skins, on house calls tapping along to Charleston rhythms in his black and white spats. Dr. Munday had been her doctor for years. Dr. Munday had known her all her life. Dr. Munday was perfectly normal. You did exactly the right thing, Mr. Porter, of course. Obviously, Ricky scoffed from somewhere in her room. Carrie focused and her fingers twitched. She tried to move her arm, but it wouldn't budge. Something was pinning it to her side. Don't try to move, Dr. Munday said in her ear. I've had to bind you for your own protection. Her body felt strange, her skin tight and dry. There was an odd sensation of pressure all over her, which she couldn't understand. It's called the sarcophagus wrap, but don't let that worry you. Carrie blinked, the world swimming into focus. Clean fibres with an oily texture smothered her mouth. Oh, I wouldn't try to talk. You're not meant to eat the preparation. This is a relatively old technique, courtesy of my colleague, Dr El Syed. His workshops are always greatly illuminating. Dr Munday nodded to Fairwood, whom Carrie still couldn't quite see. The bedroom ceiling shimmered above her as her eyes played tricks with her mind, unless that was ectoplasm she could see. She hoped not. Keep the protection charms going overnight. I'll ask Miss Harris to drop by. She's good with protection. Fairwood melted into the walls, the house breathing softly around them. What do you need that meddling medium for? It was Ricky Porter's voice, coarse, indignant. I found her. She'd be dead if it weren't for me. Again. Dr Munday disappeared from the field of Carrie's vision, his cane tapping on the boards. Yes, thank you, Mr Porter, but the house has made its feelings clear. It distrusts your uncanny ability to show up when needed like an orchestrator. That's bullshit. I'm a soothsayer. I see the bloody future. I tell people the truth. He sounds really angry, Carrie thought numb. Poor Ricky. No one gives him the benefit of the doubt, do they? They all know what he is, the crows rejoined. Carrie didn't doubt that, but it was too big, too macabre to grasp. No, I want him to stay. It wasn't his fault, I'm pretty sure. No more pendles. He helped. I feel better with him around. He knows his shit. But, please. She needed Ricky there. He was selfish and dangerous and entirely invested in keeping her alive. Besides, he's an outsider too, like us. The house grudgingly relented. Dr Munday's rich lilt broke into her discussion as if reading their thoughts. Yes, Mr Porter, thank you for your assistance, and while I am fully aware of your position, it's not me you need to convince. Miss Rickard, please do drop by the surgery on Mill Street when you're up and about. I'd like to see you for a follow-up. Rest today, and the bandages will be changed tomorrow. Carrie tried to protest, or wriggle, or something, but the bandages held her tightly in place. Sleep, said Dr Munday, and Carrie couldn't fight the sonorous command. The darkness closed in again, obliterating her worries and aches and the worrisome void of white in a rising tide of blissful black. Twenty-ninth April to the 2nd of May He had never spent three nights away from the cottage before. Where? Nowhere to go. 
Fairwood wouldn't let him in half the rooms, thwarting exploration. The Pendlestone was his consolation, the kitchen always welcoming and, when he wasn't cleaning the neighbour up, the bandages needed changing, same with the waste bags and somehow he had to feed her those clear plastic bags of nutrients on the tall beeping stand. He sat on the kitchen floor, stroking the hearthstone and muttering Gaffer's favourite incantations over and over and over, precious rhymes he thought he'd never, he could never use alone. The energies were bringing on his changes, faster now and about damn time. Imagine pushing thirty and not fully changed yet. They thought he'd done it, that was it. To change again so late was unheard of. No, my dears, no, there's more to Cousin Ricky than you think. He ain't done yet, we're far from finished. Stroking the pendle stone was his solace, and slowly, slowly, achingly slowly, his farsight crept back. His third eye was only a metaphor, unlike his second mouth, but he felt it opening again and blinking into the warp and weft of the weird. He didn't mind the other stuff. She even had a bookcase with her own books, some he'd never read, and that was in itself a minor revelation. Like his own library, without the need to slip in after hours to be alone. Dr Munday had done all the technical things, the medical things he didn't understand, clever old shadow man with his face collection. Miss Charlotte, devil woman in white, clinically polite, came to check on him, shriek about hygiene and make him wash his hands. Ricky saved the waste bags. He didn't see why not, and sometimes, if you waited, fermented it all down, what was left could be pretty potent in ways other than smell. No, I'm not like Gran. I don't go in for all that controlling stuff. Take it back. Wish we'd had a girl, George, a lovely little girl with lips honest as rubies. Ricky wrestled with his shadow of a conscience. He kept the waste bags anyway. At night, stripping off in his usual fashion and leaving his folded clothes on the floor, he slept on the mattress beside the bandaged coma patient, since it didn't occur to him to sleep anywhere else. If he closed his eyes, he could imagine it was Gerald there, still and quiet. He hadn't had Gerald in his bed since he was twelve, and his dad told him he was too old for all that. That was the night Ricky had poisoned his parents for the first time. Gerald had not been burned, but he hadn't dared keep him in his bedroom after that all the same. It was odd, sleeping next to something after so long. Even odder to be next to something warm, something breathing. Ricky forced himself to touch her, only gently, to prove to himself he wasn't afraid. She made a small sound and it jolted through him with a static charge, hair-raising, nape-prickling, exhilarating. After that, he slept with one arm carefully positioned around her middle, feeling the deep diaphragm pulses of her breath. He counted them steady like a metronome. She talked in her sleep sometimes. He caught odd words and each time that happened, he would jerk awake in a kind of panic. Bodies didn't talk. Then he'd see her in the dark, smell the bandages and the preparation, relax his muscles one group at a time, let his tendrils fall back over the pillow and crawl up the wallpaper. He toyed with the idea of keeping her like this forever, slipping a tendril into her ear and through to her brain, piercing something vital and locking her in her dream world for good, but it seemed disloyal to Gerald, the first Gerald at least, if she was to be Gerald the second, and Miss Charlotte was not easy to fool. On the other hand, keeping her like this, a second Gerald, meant no complications, no conversations, a warm body instead of a cold one. No dogs, no warrant, no D.I. Paula Parsons. But even if he could convince Miss Charlotte and Dr. Munday that this bandaged, comatose condition was naturally prolonged, 
Fairwood wouldn't tolerate that. He could feel the house scratching inside his brain like an earwig, digging out the thoughts he tried to hide from it. After four interesting days and three blissful, sleepless nights, Gerald II relinquished its name and was declared ready to be detubed and unwrapped. Away went the IV stand and its bags of liquid nutrition. Out came the other tubes and there would be no need for the bags anymore. Ricky realised she might not want him to sleep beside her when she was better, when she was Caroline Rickard again. The moment approached, dull like a drill, and the closer it got, the deeper it hollowed out a cavity in his chest. He buried it deep and, unable to block out the summoning tug he'd started to feel, went to tea with his grandmother. Granny Wen's door was always open to family in the same way that Fairwood was always closed to them. Ricky came in without knocking, sullen at being summoned, rubbing his breastbone with a pinch of Granny Wen's insistence had him in its grip. She had a visitor. Richard, you're late. Don't have a watch, Gran. Very funny. He took in the scene. The homely atmosphere, pokey compared to the crows, the mean little range and well-used paraphernalia, and Guy Bishop at the table with a bottle of whisky. There he is, Gran's little delivery boy. Should thank you, Mr Bishop. Thank you very much. Back on the bottle, Mr Bishop. He patted his tight, flat belly. Pardon me if I don't join you. Don't be rude, Richard. Sit down. She, let, she had let her hair down, long and grey, flowing in waves down her straight back. Where have you been? Does she know? She can't know. He edged in, letting the door bang behind him, and took a seat opposite the younger Mr Bishop, wary. Whiskey rankled in his nostrils. Around? I couldn't see you anywhere. She ladled soup into a bowl, her tone level. Davy was looking for you. Couldn't find you in the cottage. George and Letty didn't know where you were. Shit, Uncle David. Stay quiet, you can't lie. She set the soup in front of him, her lily of the valley scent overpowering the whiskey for a moment. The only place I can think of is the long barrow, she continued, still in the same gentle tone. You wouldn't be messing with things in there, would you? You wouldn't be looking for Mr Wen's signs, not without explicit permission. No, Gran. Ricky stuck to the truth. Wanted peace and quiet is all. Lost track of time. Peace and quiet would be over when Mistress Rickard started talking again. Should have taken a chance, gone through her ear or tear duct. Hmm. She wasn't convinced and he knew she was more powerful than he was. Even now, even with the Pendlestone energies opening him up to the outside, she was older and stronger, have had had those energies coursing through her frame for so long and spawned the children from her own womb. He waved his spoon at Guy, who was sitting immobile, staring into his glass. The fuck's he doing here? This earned him a cuff around the back of his head, right across his sensitive lips. It stung. Language, Richard. Guy stirred but said, said nothing. Ricky recalled a distant memory of teenage rebellion before his first change, topless on the beach and two six-packs of lager down, necking neat vodka in the sun. Fuck the far side. Fuck the family. Fuck them all. Baseball cap instead of a hood. Nothing on the back of his head but hair, thick and brown. Had a nosebleed. Why? Someone had punched him. Some nine-to-five family man didn't appreciate the puking, the littering or the language. Ricky dimly remembered kicking the shit out of him in front of his screaming kids. He grinned to himself, slurping at his spoon on purpose. 
This earned him another cuff around the head. The soup was lukewarm, bland, watery, nothing to distract him, nothing to drag him into the present. What do you want me for, then? She loomed behind him, watching her visitor. Poor darling's a bit desperate. Terrible debt. Ricky sniffed, biting off a chunk of bread roll. Stale. What's that to do with me? Another cuff. Don't talk with your mouth full. Bloody old bitch. I took him down the cellar. It's always harder on them the third time. I don't know why. What's wrong with him? Oh, the usual. He was catatonic earlier. She moved around the table and pulled up a chair. Poor dear. Ricky snorted. Do you have it back yet? That was it. That's what she wanted. What they always wanted. He snorted. If he's done the ritual, he don't need it. He couldn't finish it, his grandmother said, leaning over to Pat Guy's sleeve. Too much for him this time. Luck ain't the easiest thing to harness, like lassoing the business end of a hydra with only one rope. He leered across the table, enjoying the pallor of the bookseller, entitled young Tosser who wouldn't let him take his books. Once, that's easy. Twice, trickier. Three times. He leaned back, sucking in air through his teeth. Luck don't like that. Don't tease him, Richard. She kept using his full name. Uncle David was Davy today, but he was Richard, and this drunk was dear. Not even blood, not even bone, but he was dear, and Ricky was Richard. Venom bubbled hotter than the soup. I ain't got the far side back, not properly, and if I did, I wouldn't help. He pushed the bowl away and shot the remains of the bread roll into Guy's whiskey tumbler. Not fair, you owe him. Furthered your cause, no end. His grandmother tutted. For a moment, he saw the energies pulsing under her skin, tar black. Richard! I'm sorry, dear. Let me get you another glass. Guy took a slow drink from the bottle. Ricky leaned over, studying him. What does he want? Grand National's been and gone. What's next? World Cup? Lottery numbers? He'll lose the bookshop this time, his grand said with galling sympathy. Poor boy. So much pressure. And Harry hasn't long. Oh, sympathy, is it? Too much pressure? Fuck me, though, hey, your own grandson, bloody old bitch. This uh, meant to be a reward for something, Ricky asked, innocent. Did you a favour, did he? Delivery boys deserve tips. Dad'll be upset, Guy slurred slowly into his lap before she could answer. Can't let your father down, Ricky mocked, but he relented. All right. Let me down there, Gran. No promises, just a quick one, and I'll tell him something special. He eyed the whiskey. I'm not promising nothing, though. She smiled, that twisted, malevolent smile. She loved chaos, stirring other people's lives into maelstroms until she was their only anchor. Don't worry about that. Just this once you go down, but only quickly, no getting greedy. His jaw clenched and fluttered. Not greedy, am I, bloody old bitch? Want what's mine is all. But a quick blast of her shrine's energies was all he needed. The pendle stone had already opened him up a little. He'd have to be careful, not indulge himself in how soft she was. Shut up, shut up. Not think about the second Gerald he was losing the next day. Stop it. You seem a little upset, dear. Her endearment was a honey trap. She didn't switch from Richard to dear without wanting something. He scraped his chair back. 
I'm tired, Gran. I haven't been sleeping. He moved towards the cellar steps where the shrine awaited. All it would take was a bit of extra energy in a place where the veil between worlds was thinnest. The pendle stone was imbued with much older energies the newer shrine couldn't channel yet, but it had been dormant for sixty years. Waking it up fully would take more time. I know what you're doing, Richard. That wasn't his thought. He chanced to look at his grandmother again, stroking Guy like a cat. Toffee sat under the table, evil eyes staring at him from between the chair legs. Did you, did you hear something, Gran? he asked. No, she said, and he didn't think she was lying. Come down to the cellar, my lovely lad. Tell your gaffer all that's bad. Ricky went down the steps, buoyed by a rare frisson of excitement. If that was the voice, then it was speaking to him. The shrine welcomed him, shutting her out. His pulse quickened with his breaths. Mine. He hurried downwards and let the cellar's gloom consume him. Well, that's the end of part one of chapter 11. Um, part two is next Thursday. We go back to Carrie. Um, I just, yeah, I, I really like this chapter. I don't know what you think about it. If you want to go to Goodreads, um, there's a group called um, Pagamon Sea Taurus Board that you can use to chat. Um, you can also chat about it on Twitter. Um, you can at me at CM Rosens uh, on Twitter if you've got any questions. Um, and you can also get in touch with me via my website, cmrosens.com as well. It's really interesting um, because I realised he says um, that, Ricky says that he doesn't, um, he's never spent more than three nights away at the cottage, from the cottage before, or he hasn't spent three nights away, but that's not actually true. Um, as you kind of gather from his backstory um, as the book goes on and I think that's generally because Ricky doesn't count his childhood as like <laughs> as real life <laughs> or like he doesn't really count anything before he was like about 18, 19 because um, he does talk about sleeping rough and that kind of stuff as well um, yeah I don't know if anyone picked up on that but he's not exactly a reliable narrator um, but yeah, just wondering what people think about his section so far. Um, if you've read 13th um, and you're re you're listening to this or you're reading The Crows as a prequel, um, I'd be interested as well to see what you think about the character development. And if you're reading 13th, um, when that comes out, it comes out on the 30th of April. Uh, this So the end of this month, basically, when this first uh, is aired. Um, then um, hopefully you'll get to see how Ricky has developed um, over the course of eight months. So we pick up the story, um, well, we pick up a, a thread of a story um, about eight months after The Crows is set. So that'd be really interesting to see what people think of that. Um, you can read 13th on its own without having finished The Crows, there is a little bit of a spoiler at the start of 13th for how the crows ends. Um, <laughs> um, and if you don't know how it ends, then, um, yeah, I mean, 
but you you can read 13th as a prequel to find out how the hell all of you know what happened happened how that happened so um yeah i'm just kind of rambling because this is a shorter episode and i like to to fill out the time <laughs> but also genuinely please do talk to me um i'm i just kind of like um yeah i just like having feedback on my characters and um, where you think it's going and character development and um, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so Pagamon Sea Taurus Board is the name of the Goodreads group. If you do want to pop in there and chat. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, if you do want to grab some short stories as well, um, Overexposure is kind of a prequel to this uh, on this timeline. Um, and that is uh, with the, with Wes Porter, who is... Um, Ricky's cousin um, and that's available Amazon Smashwords other ebook retailers and my Kofi shop you can also grab the companion which is the folklore of Pagamon Sea volume one uh, and that's got a load of snippets and short stories and and tiny little bits of info um, so you can have a have a read of that as well and that's got some urban legends and various things about the town and I'm going to be doing volume two uh, this year, I hope, um, and I'll be looking at more history, town history of smugglers and wreckers and maybe Seamus McVeigh and that kind of thing. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. Um, yeah, um, but again, you can get the box set of the novel and the folklore and overexposure for 6 99 from my coffee shop and save a pound um, on buying them separately if you haven't already bought them. And that's all Kindle format. So yeah. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this episode hopefully um, you're looking forward to the conclusion of uh, chapter 11 and to uh, the remainder of the book and I'll see you on Thursday bye now <laughs>